Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it's your boy, ATH, episode 47 for the love of the game. Let's go! Welcome back, episode 47, for the love of the game, it's your boy ATH back in the studio, back behind the mic. Man, there is a lot to discuss. Took some time off, uh, a little Passover got in the way, but it feels great to be back on this Monday evening. I had to hit you guys up with that classic by Trick Daddy remixing the Ozzy Osbourne song, Let's Go. You know, sometimes when you're in a you know, really good mood uh, and you want to get jazzed up, you just need a jam that makes you want to like throw hands with somebody, get into a fight a little bit, gets you real jazzed up. That song does it for me, uh, so it's perfect for tonight because we've got a lot to discuss. On the eve of the NBA draft lottery drawing, uh, people, it's here. Tomorrow is the biggest day of my year as a Knicks fan. I am a weird combo of hopeful, nervous, scared, and expecting the worst, but hopefully uh, wishing for the obviously wishing for the best. Who knows what's going to happen, but many of you are asking why I didn't wait to record this episode until after the results are in, and that's uh, for two reasons. One, I'm not sure I'm emotionally uh, stable enough to be able to record the night after um, the drawing happens if worst-case scenario does happen. I'm not sure I'll make it there. And two... There's way too much NBA that needs to be discussed in terms of the actual playoffs, the games actually happening, especially after yesterday's Game 7s. Lots to discuss, so let's dive right in. But before we do, a quick shout-out to the NHL playoffs. The final four teams, we got St. Louis and the San Jose Sharks out west. Carolina against Boston in the east. Four fun teams left. The playoffs have been really great so far. Uh, but for the love of everything good in this world, we cannot have those insufferable jackasses from the 617 take down the Stanley Cup trophy this year. No one really needs that, um, except for a small state in the Northeast. Really, no one needs that. Also, tough look for the Islanders to get swept in the second round the way they did after they looked so good against the Pittsburgh Penguins in round one. Uh, Got to get them back on Long Island full-time, but overall it was a really great season for them, especially after uh, John Tavares left. Uh, as for the NFL draft, I know everybody's expecting me to go on a rant about that. I'm not getting into this now. Uh, but to put it uh, lightly, the Giants put the mayonnaise on the shit sandwich that was this offseason. Uh, not very good. A therapy session will come later on this summer when, um, you know, playoff season uh dies down a little bit, or I should say is over. Okay, now on to the NBA. 
after yesterday was an awesome day of playoff basketball. Really, this whole weekend, this past weekend, was an excellent, excellent weekend for the NBA. Just great stuff. Uh, two Game 7s on a rainy Monday. Uh, I should say on a rainy Mother's Day in New York. Uh, weather is miserable here. Um, we are now down to the final four teams in the playoffs. We've got Portland versus Golden State out west. Milwaukee versus Toronto in the east. So let's recap how we got here just for a little bit. Milwaukee sent the Boston Celtics home in five games. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo was an absolute monster after it seemed like in the regular season that Al Horford, uh, the forward slash center for the Celtics, had figured out how to stop Giannis. Giannis absolutely dominated him after game one. In games two through five, he looked like the absolute undisputed MVP of the league, just an absolute beast. But besides for Giannis, Milwaukee's bench, specifically Pat Connaughton and George Hill, who looked absolutely cooked last year on the Cavs, were huge for the Bucs. And now Malcolm Brogdon, uh, the important guard in their rotation, is back from injury, and the Bucs look absolutely fierce. As for the Celtics, well, this season was exceedingly disappointing. I'm going to touch on this in a little bit, but like many others, I was super high on the Celtics before the year started, and it just didn't happen for them. And I'll tell you this right now. New York Knicks brass, listen up. I know you're listening, and if you aren't, well, you should be, and you probably should hire me, but that's another story for another day. Uh, given the choice between Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker this offseason, take Kemba. Kyrie is just a little too extra, as they say. All the warts and criticisms of Kyrie uh, that I've had before he joined the Celtics were back in a big way after this postseason. We'll touch on this in a little bit later on in the show with uh, an esteemed guest of mine. In the other second-round series in the East, Toronto versus Philly, man, what an ending. Truth be told... I was supposed to record last Thursday, and honestly, I'm really glad I didn't because a lot happened this weekend, especially yesterday. Kawhi Leonard, man, he was just unbelievable in this series. I mean, he averaged 34.7 points a game, 4 assists per game, almost 10 rebounds per game, and shot 54% from the field, even though he only shot about 31% from 3. And yesterday, he had to put up 39 shots. And Well, he only made 16 of them, and Toronto needed every single one of those 16 because it seemed that in that game, no one else on Toronto had the stones to shoot the ball. Kyle Lowry didn't want to shoot. Marcus Gasol didn't want to shoot. Danny Green wasn't involved to shoot. Pascal Siakam didn't want to shoot. So he had to get every single shot on his own. And that incredible shot that got the crazy bounce at the buzzer was over seven foot three Joel Embiid, who couldn't have contested it any better. I mean, just wow. To have the energy to put up 39 shots and to get that fadeaway off over Embiid is just unbelievable just to get the shot off. Just an incredible shot by Kawhi. Kawhi reminded us this postseason that when he's healthy, he's a top four NBA player, hands down. Shout out to Serge Ibaka, though, who uh, also had a really uh, rough series for the most part, but he came up big yesterday for the Raptors. And if their bench uh, and Pascal Siakam can get on track like they were at all during the regular season, you know, they can be a really dangerous team in the next round. As for Philly, just an absolute stomach punch loss for them, which leads them to a very interesting offseason with many questions. Um, Ben Simmons, who was finally good in game six. And even though he only took five shots, he was pretty, he he was solid in game seven. I mean, he was aggressive early. I mean, 
he did leave a little bit to be desired uh, in the second half. But, you know, uh, it wasn't a complete no-show. But how does he fit with Joel Embiid going forward with his lack of a jump shot? Jimmy Butler, who looked like the only guy capable of creating his own in the fourth quarter, he's a free agent. J.J. Redick and Tobias Harris, who you traded a lot of pieces for, he's also a free agent. Brett Brown's status as coach is up in the air. It will be an exceedingly interesting offseason for the Sixers, an absolutely brutal loss for them. I will say this. Even though uh, down the stretch where they had those couple of really awful offensive possessions where they uh, had like three shot clock violations within the last two minutes, if Philly makes changes solely based on the fact that they lost Game 7 they didn't get it out of the second round, after a loss like that, I still think they're being exceedingly short-sighted. Exceedingly short-sighted. Now let's move out west. Portland outlasted Denver in a very entertaining seven-game series, which included a great Game 7 and a four-overtime game in uh, in Portland, which was crazy. Uh, C.J. McCollum was absolutely huge for the Blazers yesterday. 37 points, 9 rebounds, and a huge block shot, which you don't expect from C.J. McCollum, but, you know, he came up really, really large. And Portland beat Denver on the road, 196 to advance. Damian Lillard, after torching the Oklahoma City Thunder, and specifically my guy Russell Westbrook, and really being the winner of the first round uh, in terms of narrative, well, he cooled off a bit this series and didn't have the shot falling yesterday as he was only 3 for 17, but made one of the biggest plays of the game. That steal he got um, on the outlet pass, which then led him to hitting a corner 3, was a huge momentum swing. Now, great players find ways to win a game and contribute to a win even when their shot isn't falling. And Dame did that yesterday. And he knew that CJ had it cooking uh, basically the entire game. So kudos to him for recognizing that and getting out of the way and pretty much not forcing things, especially down the stretch. It's really good to see Damian Lillard get some national recognition. Uh, I know basketball people know how great he is. I mean, he's finished third, first, and second All-NBA, two second teams in the last four years. So basketball people know how great he is, but the average fan is really starting to appreciate him, which is nice. Uh, Two other guys who were considered major winners of this round, Enos Cantor and Rodney Hood. Enos Cantor, who was famous for Oklahoma City coach Billy Donovan when Cantor was on the Thunder, saying can't play Cantor in reference to his shoddy defense in the playoffs, uh, that he was a complete liability, that he couldn't get on, on the court. Well, Cantor was huge in this series, as well as in round one where he dominated Steven Adams and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Cantor, who the Knicks gave away for free, which wasn't a bad decision by the Knicks because he wasn't helping them and his personality was just getting in the way and it was just enough already. Well, it turns out on the right team, he's quite playable. Plus, he played through a really bottom shoulder, a nagging shoulder injury, and fasting during Ramadan. So Cantor comes out as a major winner in this round. Same goes for Rodney Hood, who looked like an absolute afterthought till this series. He looked like his career may have been over. And last year with the Cavs, he looked like he was absolutely cooked. But he was huge for the Blazers in this series, especially in that four-overtime game where he basically won it for them. I mean, he got hurt yesterday, but still a really good showing by Rodney Hood. Like George Hill for the Bucks, it turns out getting away from LeBron James uh, is a good thing for most guys' career. Now, 
I'm not here to rag on LeBron. Uh, I've done that plenty on this podcast. But, you know, LeBron is really tough to play with, and some guys just don't do it. And Rodney Hood, um, along with George Hill, were two of those guys. So kudos to Rodney Hood for coming up big for the Blazers in this series. He's a pending free agent, just like Cantor is. I think both of those guys have actually set themselves up nicely for uh, future contracts. As for Denver, well, they have a young core with a top 10 guy at 23 years old locked up. They also have a really clean cap going forward. They're in good shape, and man, I am super impressed with Nikola Jokic after these playoffs. I was a skeptic. Honestly, I really was. I was a skeptic on Denver all year. Uh, I was a skeptic on Jokic. Can a big man who's not great defensively be the anchor of a really, really good team, a potentially uh, contending team, and Jokic is really that guy. You know, he had a monster year this year, and his numbers in the playoffs through 14 games were even better in the regular season. That guy steps up. He's a warrior, and he's so fun to watch, so unselfish, you know, can get his own, can get everybody else involved. He He's just a pleasure to watch, and you know, I was wrong. I was wrong on Jokic. Uh, I underestimated him. He is a major winner as well. Uh, tough loss for Denver, but something tells me that with the way their roster is built, we won't be hearing the last of Denver anytime soon. And on to the last series from the second round. The Golden State Warriors took care of the Houston Rockets in six games. Much to the delight of yours truly. And we will uh, get into this uh, in a little bit. So they split the first four games. Uh, each team won on its home court. Kevin Durant gets hurt in game five. And it looks like he might have tore his Achilles with NBA fans all over Twitter. Golden State fans and New York Knicks fans. Knicks Twitter was bracing themselves for the worst, considering that Durant, there's a major possibility that he's going to be playing for the Knicks next year. It would be so Knicks if he just got hurt before he signed, got a chance to sign with the Knicks healthy. But whatever, it was, wasn't was the torn Achilles as everybody uh, made it seem to be like, and the five minutes, I should say ten minutes of hysteria on Twitter led to believe. It was just a calf strain, but uh, he was out for much of Game 5. But it didn't matter because Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, and Draymond Green took care of business, looking like the team that won the 2015 NBA title pre-Durant. Steph's fourth quarter in Game 6 was so awesome. 25 points in the fourth quarter, just ridiculous plays. I mean, if I was Steph Curry, I would be going up to the podium after Durant got hurt and he basically closed out Game 5 and Game 6 with this on the loudspeakers. Nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move the lips, just a bunch of gibberish and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dre. Yeah, Steph Curry reminded everybody that he's still that guy. He's a two-time MVP, you know, one of the four best players in the league as well. So if everybody was, you know, oh, Steph is having a rough playoff so far, and he was to that point, well, he basically shut everybody up real, real fast. Uh, Clay was great in that first half. I mean, Steph went scoreless in the first half in Game 6. Clay really held it down. And then Steph closed it out in the fourth quarter. Andre Iguodala was huge. He made five threes, had five steals, great defense. And the Golden State Warriors advanced to their fifth straight Western Conference Finals. Unbelievable. As for the Houston Rockets, my favorite team in the league. Um, well, we'll hold that thought till we get to that in a second where I talk about uh, the losers from this playoffs, specifically the second round, because I'm really going to enjoy going in on this one. So as I mentioned before, a couple of winners from the playoffs so far. 
Damian Lillard and the whole Blazers team for not blowing things up after they got swept by the Pelicans last year. Cantor and Rodney Hood made themselves a bunch of money. Damian Lillard's getting respect, and it just goes to show you that sometimes when you're a good team and you win about 50 games, sometimes you just got to ride it out and see if you can get a lucky break, that it doesn't necessarily mean you have to blow the whole thing up. If you have something good and you really believe in that something good, Sometimes it just pays to sit pat, and the Blazers did that, and right now they're in the Western Conference Finals. So good on them for doing so. Damian Lillard getting his shine um, and, the, and the whole squad. Number two, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler comes out a winner uh, for this round because Jimmy Butler, he, he's caused a lot of drama the last year and a half, whether it was with the Bulls, whether it was with the T-Wolves not getting along with uh, Carl Anthony Towns and uh, Andrew Wiggins, you know, really being a pain in the ass and forcing a trade. But you know what? That guy's a gamer. And you saw down the stretch in these playoffs, specifically in the series against Toronto, when Philadelphia needed to create its own offense down the stretch, Jimmy Butler was that guy. Jimmy Butler made huge plays. He won them the game in game two. Yesterday, he had that huge layup to tie the game. He made Big shots down the stretch in the fourth quarter, even though he was ice cold in the first half, and he showed up in the fourth. Like, Jimmy Butler, I know he can be a pain, but in the right situation, that guy's still a gamer, and that guy's still one of the 20 best players in the league, and for the right team, you want to pay that guy, and you want him in your foxhole. I mean, that guy knows how to play basketball. He knows how to play playoff basketball. So he's a winner after looking like that he, you know, was just too much to handle and not worth the trouble. Uh, I uh, I think he he fixed that narrative going into his free agency. And uh, number three, as I mentioned before, Nikola Jokic. I mean, I thought of him being as a really number good two or a 1A on a really good team, on a title contending team. I, as I mentioned, I questioned his defense. Um, and all he was... I should say, and all he did was just improve his numbers in the 14 playoff games, as I mentioned before. His defense actually was not nearly as bad as the perception of his defense is. He's generally in the right spot, and he just takes up space, and he's just so smart offensively, and he's just a pleasure to watch. So I I could really not be more impressed from uh, what I saw from Nikola Jokic and uh, couldn't have been more wrong about him. And now for the losers of the playoffs so far. Number one. My guy, Russell Westbrook. Listen, this hurts me personally, but it's got to be said. It's his third straight first-round exit. He played like crap the entire series against Portland except for Game 3. Damian Lillard, who he talked a lot of shit to, absolutely dominated him the entire series. Not a good look for my guy, Russ. Really not a good look. Kyrie Irving, number 2. An awful series for him in Milwaukee. I mean, shooting... You know, just terribly from the field in his last game, 6-for-21, just brutal. And he sounded like a complete asshole to the media again after games. I mean, all the Kyrie warts came out. He's just too extra. He thinks of himself as, like, this genius and this, you know, intellectual. But he's just, you know, he just sounds like a dick half the time. I mean, it... This really showed that he really can't lead a franchise and needs to be somebody's 1A, as great as he is in terms of a talent. Uh, And yes, as I mentioned before, give me Kemba Walker over Kyrie any day of the week. You know, you just don't get the extra stuff with Kemba, and he tries a little bit more on defense. He doesn't have the knee injury or the injury history. 
it's just it's just a little less maintenance with Kemba, which which is what I want going forward. Uh, just a rough look from Kyrie. Uh, number three, Ben Simmons. My dude, what is going on with you? Too many no-shows this postseason. I mean, you did have a couple of monster games, but no, you have no idea what to expect from him from a night-to-night basis in a playoff series. I mean, he really hasn't improved at all from his rookie year. No jump shot whatsoever, and he's crappy, uh, I should say, below average in the half-court game. It's just very disappointing with the, a guy with his gifts for him not to have taken a step up in year two from year one. I will say this, though. In his defense, taking the challenge to guard Kawhi Leonard last series really impressed me. I mean, Kawhi was great. But Simmons did a great job in terms of competing on the defensive end and made Kawhi work for everything he got. But Ben, get yourself in the gym, lock the freaking door over the summer, and get yourself a jump shot. Because, I mean, you you can't go on like this. You can't go on like this. Something's got to be done. Just get that jump shot down. Take 5,000 a day in the offseason. Whatever you have to do to be confident in that jump shot, do it. And now, the biggest loser of the playoffs, and yes, it's that time, I alluded to it earlier, the combo of James Harden, Chris Paul, Daryl Morey, and the Houston Rockets. Now, anybody who knows me who's talking basketball with me knows how I feel about this team, and I'm really going to enjoy going in on this one. Uh, I've been waiting all year for this, so here it goes. Let's start with James Harden. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from James Harden's regular season. As I said on this show, uh, as I've said to my friends, I actually think James Harden's regular season this year was more impressive than it was last year. I think he has a better candidacy for MVP this year, even though I don't think he should win. But I think he has a better candidacy this year than he did last year. But, but. I never, ever bought this Houston team. I never bought their style of play. I never thought that they were going to be a challenger to the Warriors, whether Kevin Durant was in the game or not in the game. And that's because of a a couple of things. And one is James Harden. Because there are certain guys who take a step up in the playoffs, and there are certain dudes who just don't and who have come up small Whenever given the chance. Now, you'll say, you know, Aaron, game six, James Harden, if you look at the box score, you know, he shot the ball well from the field. You know, he scored a bunch of points. And you know what? That's great. But in the fourth quarter, he was terrible. He had four crucial turnovers in that game and just looked disinterested on so many other possessions. In game five, when they needed him and they had the momentum when Durant got hurt, You know, nowhere to be found in the fourth quarter, James Harden. Even in game four that they won, he was one of seven with four points in the fourth quarter. I mean, this guy historically has come up small. He, When he was on Oklahoma City and the sixth man, he was absolutely horrific in that NBA Finals, which is actually a lot closer uh, if you go back and watch the games than than it is. if you just look at the box score being four to one series win for Miami, but he was horrendous in those finals. He then 
has come up small with the Rockets. You know, losing to the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard at home to close out the series. Or then last year, going, you know, leading a team that went 0 for 27 from three in game seven. Like his numbers historically drop from regular season to the postseason. I mean, and it. It's not even that James Harden, you know, is so frustrating. It's also the the way the guys in the media talk about him or even some of my friends. And shout out to this group chat I'm in. Bunch of knuckleheads, good dudes. But, like, they give this guy such a pass. They call him efficient when he shoots 42% from the field. And they talk about how his misses from three are more valuable than taking other shots, easier shots, because he takes so many contested threes. Oh, I'm sorry. Zero times three still equals zero. If you take a bullshit shot contested from three, even though it has a chance for three points, if it doesn't go in, you get nothing. You get absolutely nothing. And not just that, you know, it's the style of play and the fact that he kicks his legs out and is constantly hunting for fouls. And after game one, where he jumps two feet forward and expecting to get calls for guys being in his landing space, right? You know, the the rule is that you have to give the shooter space to land, you know, in this designated area called the landing space. Like, he expects his landing space to be a radius of three feet. He jumps forward into guys and expects fouls. He flops all the time. He travels on his step back. He pushes off on every drive to the basket with his off arm, and he has the audacity after game one to say all he wants is a fair chance. I mean, yeah, maybe Klay Thompson got away with a foul or two in the first half, but come on now. All you want is a fair chance? Your game, 50% of it is predicated on you tricking the referees into calls. Get lost, dude. That shit doesn't fly in the playoffs because the refs study up Between games, they know your tendencies. You know what? Maybe if you concentrated a little bit more on making shots as opposed to expecting the refs to bail you out, maybe you wouldn't come up small in the playoffs. And to his credit, to his credit, he didn't do a lot of complaining after game one. You know, he went out and played. But, you know, if you're a superstar and everybody claims to be that you're the the second, you know, the best two guard in NBA history uh, since Michael Jordan, which is which is asinine, but like talk to Bill Simmons, he's talking about him better being better than Kobe Bryant. Like, get lost. Come on now. Anybody with two eyes can tell you that Kobe Bryant, you know, and James Harden aren't even on the same madrega to use a uh, a Hebrew term. They aren't even on the same level. I mean, come on now. And then just the way people talk about him, like he's this top three, four NBA player. Like there are seven, eight guys in the league. I'd rather more than James Harden, you know, if I'm starting a team and this reluctancy and this gets, and this will tie into the Houston Rockets as a whole, this whole, you know, team is, is, and Mike D'Antoni's system is predicated on basically taking threes and layups and foul shots. And depending on the referees, him and Chris Paul and all of them, depending on the referees to bail them out and moving away from the mid-range game um, when it's open and teams are playing you to take those shots and you still are reluctant to take them, 
you know, being stubborn and doing, and this is what we do. This is how we got here. Well, that doesn't fly in the playoffs. You have to be versatile. You know, this money ball stuff, you know, and these, these fancy analytics, and we'll get to the analytics in a second, clearly doesn't work in the playoffs because it hasn't worked the last three seasons. You would think after a while you would have an in-game adjustment and do something, but nope. Not the Houston Rockets, not James Harden. Just, they're so aggravating. And, to, and for anyone who honestly thought that they were going to beat Golden State, they need to get their brains checked. They're, they haven't watched basketball in forever. Besides for the style of play, sports takes into account, there's a mental component. There's a human component to sports. And the Houston Rockets and James Harden and Chris Paul too and to some degree, Mike D'Antoni, you know that thing between your ears? Like, they just don't have it. And it's a mental thing, especially against the Golden State Warriors. So even when Kevin Durant went out, there was no chance. I truly believe this, because you could check my Twitter history, that there was no chance that they were going to win that series or win that game. And Chris Paul, also another guy flopping around, you know, expecting calls, throwing himself into guys, expecting calls. Like, what are you doing? And another guy who's had a history of coming up small in the playoffs. And then he complains to the referees also. I mean, there was one time in game two, you know, after Harden got actually got a call on a foul three where he was doing a celebratory dance, showing up the officials on a celebratory dance that they finally got a call. Like, get lost, Chris Paul. Like, you're the guy who also is low-key the dirtiest guy in the league. And you've had that reputation for a while now. And you've also had a reputation of coming up small in the playoffs. I don't need to go through his playoff history. I mean, you have the series when he was on the Clippers with the Oklahoma City Thunder. You have the series with the Rockets when they came. the Rockets came back from 3-1 in that devastating loss. Oh, by the way, when the Rockets came back, James Harden was on the bench. You know, they came back with that huge lead without him. So both of these guys, I've had enough with them. And Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, you know, talking about, and he sends this memo to the league talking about the officiating and the missed calls in game one and going through this whole, like, scientific experiment and, and saying that according to our calculations and our projections, you cost us a title last year. Oh, I'm sorry. Did your team go 0 for 27 from 3 and gag on your home court in Game 7 last year in the Western Conference Finals? Did the refs have anything to do with that? You know, petitioning the refs like this, petitioning the league. Get lost, Daryl Morey. Take that memo and shove it up your own ass. I've had enough of this Houston Rockets team. And now, now let's talk, let's bag on analytics for a second. You know, sports, especially basketball that is moving in constant motion, it's not like playing blackjack where you can count cards and there's a exact way to do it. There's a human component to sports. There's an emotional element. There's a flow of the game. You can't just try and win based on, like, counting cards and, and winning based on math. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it's nice to see that a team, you know, who plays basketball to actually try and score points and not just rely 
on the refs from the free throw line. Like, for example, the analytics talk about mid-range jumpers, you know, being like the worst shot in the game. And, and I'll give them this, that if you take, you know, a contested 20-footer with 18 seconds left on the shot clock, that is not a good shot. So, so the analytics have that right. But C.J. McCollum, who brought his team down the stretch, you know where he scored most of his points from yesterday? The mid-range. Because it was there. Because it's an inefficient, I should say, it's an inefficiency right now in the NBA because they're giving up those shots. So you know what? Take them. Kawhi Leonard didn't have it from three yesterday, but his mid-range game was on point. And that's why Toronto won. So don't give me this analytics crap, all right? The eye test will always win out Versus the analytics, uh, assuming you know what you're watching, which I myself do. I've been saying it all along. You know, the, the uh, analytics to talk about win shares, right? That, that stat win shares this year. You know, Rudy Gobert, who's a very nice player, top 30 player in the league. Rudy Gobert was top five in win shares. He wasn't even voted to the all-star team, the Western Conference all-stars this year. Guys like, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge was voted ahead of him. Not nearly where Rudy Gobert is in win shares. What do you think that tells you? Huh? How did the Utah Jazz fare this uh, postseason? I mean, they got rocked in the first round. And Gobert looked like he couldn't even stay on the floor. Meanwhile, LaMarcus Aldridge had a competitive series against the Denver Nuggets that went seven. You know, this analytics stuff, it's just gone too far, man. It's gone too far, and I'm so happy that teams who actually play basketball, who know what's up, and don't just rely on analytics. I mean, yes, in certain cases, it's exceedingly helpful, but it's good to see teams advance, you know, playing the game the way the game has always been played. And I get that threes are more valuable than twos, but if they're not good shots, don't take them. Take the good ones, because in the playoffs, good shots are harder to come by. And it's nice to see teams, it's nice to see teams actually win that way. And score one for the good guys, score one for teams that play the right way, and get lost, Houston Rockets, have a nice offseason. And to all the analytics people who think that you can win playoff basketball games based on just stats and math alone, I've got this for you. And with that, we're going to get into uh, our guests previewing um, the uh, conference finals and uh, recapping the second round of the playoffs in just a moment. Okay, it's time to welcome on a very special guest, uh, recurring guest, friend of the program, uh, Mr. Phil Bowsk, uh, to talk a little NBA thoughts on the second round and previewing the conference finals. Also, big news for him because uh, he's a Michigan fan and uh, the University of Michigan Wolverines just lost coach John Beeline to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I kind of wanted to get his thoughts on that as well. Phil, what's going on? Hey, uh, hey Thomas. Thanks for having me. I have a little bit of a cold, so if I sound a little uh, different, that's why. No other reasons. But I appreciate you uh, taking the time to call me. Always, always a pleasure. This can be like your uh, your Jordan flu game in 97. So. Uh, uh, that's where my life is. I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> where legends are made. But before we get into the playoffs, um, you know, obviously the news came out this morning, um, about uh, John Beeline leaving the Michigan Wolverines to head to the Cleveland Cavaliers. What were your thoughts? I've been terribly upset. Uh, this is a guy who 
turned around the entire Michigan basketball program. He's brought them to two national title games. They've been, I can't remember in my lifetime, which has not been very long, but really I, I can remember so many bad Michigan teams from the late 90s to the mid-2000s to, again, really the late 2000s as well. And it's, it's, it's a sad day for Michigan basketball. I'm curious to see how they'll, how they'll bounce back. Um, they did have a big recruit coming in, so we'll see if he sticks around. Uh, as for the Cavs, I don't really know how it's going to work for them because Beeline has always coached a very college basketball-friendly system. Uh, he's getting he's, The word is he wants to get top veteran assistant coaches on his staff, but ultimately he's going to be the guy who has to come up with, a, with an offense. Uh, he's always been a very good defensive coach. So I'm sure that will translate to some degree. But I, I don't know. I, you, you know, in the NBA, I guess you can make the argument, you know, we make Kevin Pittsnagel a star. So maybe if that works out, uh, something, something, something's got to go well for him in the NBA. But uh, it'd, be, it'd be curious to see how he does, considering, you know, with one and done maybe being off the table uh, in a couple of years, if he'll relate to the younger guys who end up coming into the league. It's, it's an interesting hire and one that was actually kind of expected, believe it or not. Why? Because I just don't understand why he would take the Cleveland Cavalier job. I mean, it seemed to be like he's beloved in Michigan. I mean, as you mentioned, he, you know, really turned the program around. Like, why go to the Cavs? The Cavs' job is terrible. Um, I think he had some ties to Gilbert, but other than that, I mean, it's it's a lot. I'm sure it's a lot more money. And at some point, he got to take the leap. He's always toyed with it. He was in. He was, I believe he was almost. Uh, he was one of the candidates for the Pistons job last year before they gave it to Casey. So he's obviously been looking. It's a matter of, you know, Cleveland's going to have a probably a top four pick in the draft. It could it could be, end up being a really good decision if they get a little lucky on uh, Tuesday. So where does Michigan go from here? I don't know. I I do not follow the college basketball landscape enough to know who they should hire. If there's someone on the on the staff who will replace them, all I know is they they. They better not panic and bring in bring in some alumni, <laughs> call St. John's Chris Mullen. Like they should make sure they get a good guy who can recruit and actually knows how to coach, and overpay for it because it's just been wonders for their program and they've been a they've been a contender for what seems like a decade straight. Yeah, I mean they they went to the title game two years ago. I mean they were in the mix this year. I mean I lost on them in Survivor this year on the Sweet Sixteen, but you know he's done a great job for them. But you know, I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on that. It's a it's a tough loss for Michigan, but I also wanted to bring you on to talk about obviously the NBA playoffs, knowing that you are a Celtics fan. So I guess we'll we'll kick that off here. Um, Milwaukee, Boston. Uh, we'll talk about Milwaukee in a little bit, but obviously, given that you are a Celtics fan, what were your thoughts on the Celtics after everything uh, happened? What went wrong? Where do you want Boston to go from here? I mean, they have a huge offseason this offseason, so just uh, just get your thoughts a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm very tired of all the, I mean, I'm sure if you listen to Bill Simmons and all that rhetoric and how he was, you know, quiet all year about the team. He really, he didn't stop complaining from about December on. And he's now saying he wants to drive Kyrie to the airport, all that stuff. I don't like Kyrie's attitude and all that, but at the end of the day, if Kyrie Irving says, listen, I want to be in Boston for four more years, you, you sign them. Uh, I'm very disappointed with how the team ended up. The Gordon Hayward injury really played a big role this year. I think that's a safe thing, the obvious, but he 
only had about a month where he flashed what he could do, and then he kind of disappeared again because he's not he's, – he's an underratedly athletic guy, but he's not as athletic as some of the other guys that he was going up against. I mean, that entire Milwaukee career, every time he got near the hoop, he couldn't finish over or near anyone. Um, well, especially only a year after that injury. I mean, it's look how long it took Paul Paul George to get back. So it's, right, I mean, yeah, yeah. There's definitely an issue with how they. It feels like they rushed them, but it, it wasn't rushed from a physical sense. He definitely could be on the court. They maybe asked him to do a little too much early on. Uh, but it's hard to say if Gordon Hayward says, "Listen, I can do this," and the training staff saying, "There's no reason he can't do it." But you're gonna you're gonna throw him out there. I mean, the biggest problem. With uh, with the team, I thought this year mainly in the postseason was their their lack. Their defensive game plan against Giannis was very good. It was good in theory, but it, it was tough to adjust once other guys started making shots, and then you really had no one who could guard Giannis one on one. I mean, Giannis broke Giannis broke the Celtics in this, this postseason, and and it's a shame because the Celtics still have a good team. If you told me they ran it back, uh. I'd have some kind of faith knowing that there may be minor tweaks made, you know, let Rogier go, um, possibly add some add a more veteran uh, third or fourth guard. And then they, there's a problem that with Hayward, they got to figure out something to do with his contract, and I don't know what that is. But that's a big problem. If they were to, let's say, re-sign Kyrie, and then you still have the same team with Hayward, you, you got to give them minutes to... Tatum and Brown, maybe you let Hayward play backup point guard. I, I don't really know, but the issue is, I think the issue is the 30 minutes a game, the 25, 30 minutes a game Hayward's giving you that's just are subpar. I mean, you look at his numbers in that Milwaukee series, it's a joke. It, it, it was a rough series for Gordon Hayward. I mean, honestly, because I don't think that contract is really movable. I mean, it, what is it, two more years after this? Uh, uh, it might even be three. Uh, it, the biggest problem is Everyone saw him play. Like, no one's going to, no team is thinking, you know what? <laughs> we had an eighth guy like Gordon Hayward. We're going to make, we're going to make a championship run. It's also like you're the, the whole offseason has to play out first. Yeah. Uh, no one's going to know where they stand until however the dominoes go. Kyrie opts out. Then you know the list. He's got Kawhi, KD, Kyrie. Possibly Clay Thompson. I think he stays in Golden State. Yep. Um, you have a guy like Horford who could opt out. He's, he's an impact free agent. Uh, he might be older, but he's a guy who could wear a contender to be like, hmm, well, we need a third guy. You know, Horford could fit that role, uh, depending on how good the first two guys are. But the idea is like, who knows what they're going to be up to this offseason? The idea, though, is I think plainly they have, they kind of have to. Think about what they want to do with Brown and Tatum moving forward. Whether or not they want to keep them and build from there, or make that Anthony Davis push. I mean, personally, I think they're kind of a, they're kind of stuck with the Hayward thing, and it's really unfortunate because the guy was third team All NBA before he got hurt, and he was right. like really awesome. You just have to hope he gets back and has a Paul George you know, type recovery, because if he does get back and he flashes, you know, old Gordon Hayward, kind of like Paul George did after his injury, all of a sudden, you know, this doom and gloom for the Celtics kind of goes away because you're getting, you know, a fr- for all intents and purposes, a, a major free agent that you didn't have before. So, I mean, that I, I really think that's what you have to hope for. I, 
in terms of Kyrie for a second, you know, obviously wow. you mentioned his attitude. Um, would you said you'd really want Kyrie if he if he said like he wants to bring him back for four years? I mean, given the injury history, given that he's a little just too extra, given the fact that he clearly you know has has a lacking of leadership qualities for for where this team is, like you really want him back? Well, first off, I'll say that he gets a bit of a bad rap overall. Um, from what I have heard about him, he's not. He's a very smart guy, possibly too smart for his own good. But mainly, the idea is that if you sign him for four years, you could still trade him. So I, it's, you'd rather have the asset than kind of let him walk for nothing. So I'd rather keep him around, and, and you, get a, you get a nice temperature of how the rest of the team feels for him after another year or two. I mean, there are guys, uh, there are guys who had maturity problems throughout their careers, and they, they, some of them, you know, some of them work out, some of them don't. But like, we could look at uh, even a guy like even a guy like uh, Demarcus Cousins. You know, he's obviously not the most mature guy in the league, but since if I went back to his Kings days, I'd say he's come a long way in respect of where he is mentally. Physically, he seems to be getting worse by the year. But that's a separate discussion. Uh, yeah, but the difference with also, oh, sorry, the difference with Cousins well, was I don't think he had an issue like a clear issue that came out in the media with his teammates I just think he was a hothead you know maybe butted head with coaches but I don't think he alienated teammates the way Kyrie has seemed to alienate teammates yeah but Kyrie's also shown supposedly there was a time when he, he brought them back that the, whatever this infamous play ride is where they all agreed to play together and to show them what they could be for a month and obviously something fell apart I don't think I happen to think Milwaukee was just better than they were so do I I uh, so I don't really blame them for it. And then you look at the games, like, game two was close until the third quarter. The third quarter killed them in each game, really. Game three and game, game two, two, three, sorry, games two and four were kind of tight till the third quarter. Even game four, game five, they were, I think some were winning at halftime or they were down two or something. There's just some component of the team that didn't work out and they couldn't, the Milwaukee's defense tightened up and they couldn't, figure out how to get open shots. Uh, they're not the best shooting team when they're shooting contested shots. I mean, you know, I think they have some crazy number where they're like bottom third percentile in the league on any contested jump shots. So it really was a bad matchup for them. And it's not to say they can't get better um, with Kyrie. Like they, if you have Kyrie, um, the talent is clearly there. Uh, the guy had a real bad series. Um, real, real bad series. Yeah, like I would, I would bet on him not that not happening again, based on his general postseason resume. Um, the question, the real question is, yes, his leadership. I think, I think, I think ultimately, they need more leadership from their their head coach. I love Brad Stevens, but you can't you can't leave it all in the players' league. You gotta you gotta look at the best franchises in the in the league. Like, who leads their team? Who would you say is the leader of the Golden State Warriors? Well, I think Steph Curry is the number one leader on that team. Uh, uh-huh. Draymond Green and, and Steve Kerr. I, I don't minimize what Steve Kerr does in terms of steering that ship because that's a lot of egos to manage. And that was one of the things that, you know, was the knock on Brad Stevens that, you know, he got his guys and it was a hell of a job last year to get them to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, the 
I guess the brewing knock was that he can't necessarily coach stars, that he can get guys who, you know, are rookies, you know, journeymen to overachieve. But in the NBA, it's a talent league. And if you can't connect with, um, you know, top end, top 15 level talent, you know, that's tough. Right. I mean, also the idea uh, in terms of keeping a guy like Kyrie, they have they have supplemental leaders like Marcus Morris, as much as I hate some of the shots he takes and his on-court stuff. He seems like he has a lot of respect. Marcus Smart by the year seems to be growing in popularity, and there's a bit of deference that has to come from Kyrie. That probably won't, but, I mean, these are strong personalities. And the idea is that by keeping Kyrie, they're going to add somebody else. I mean, Brown and Tatum, one of them's gone. Rozier's gone. It, it would be a very different roster. So the idea of keeping Kyrie, I don't want to keep Kyrie with the same group they have now. I'd want to keep Kyrie with a variation of the group they have now. Well, I think you're assuming that that variation been, means Anthony Davis in a trade. It doesn't have to. Um, obviously, that would be great. But it could be, uh, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know what the variation could be, but if you could move Tatum or Brown for some kind of valuable veteran asset, uh, I don't know who would be available right now. It's, it's very up in the air. I mean, you have, you'd have two years to do it. I don't think you have to do it right away. I'm not of the ilk where every year is a, you know, if, if you don't win the title at the failure season, there's progression. And, and they, they, I don't want to say they regressed because they lost in the, they didn't lose the conference finals. I just think the East is much better. I mean, that Cavs team last year is not as good as the Bucks team. It's not as good as that Raptors team. It's not even as good as that Sixers team. I agree um, with that. So it's it's just kind of a, they kind of stayed the same while everyone got better. And I don't. I, it's dead age. I feel for him because his heart's not in great shape, but he has a very stressful two months ahead of him. Uh, yeah. And I wouldn't blame I wouldn't blame him if he decided to say, "Hey, we're gonna let Kyrie go." And we're going to reset with Brown, Tatum, Smart, maybe Horford if he stays, and, and see if we can get one of these big-name guys, even if it's like a lower level like a Kemba or Jimmy Butler. I don't think that will be the case, but that, those are realistically the guys that are going to go up. So they're not getting Kevin Durant. They're not getting Kawhi Leonard. They're not getting any of those guys. Kyrie's the biggest-name guy they'll get. Um, or you work out some, a sign-and-trade somehow with Kyrie. I know the rules are a little different this year, but it's not impossible. It's something that could happen where they get some kind of value for Kyrie. I'm just a fan of the thought of keep Kyrie around, and if you really can't deal with what he's giving to these younger players, you can always trade him. Might as well get $0.75 cents on a dollar instead of $0.00 cents on a dollar. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, though, if I was a Celtics fan, obviously the dream is to convince somehow to Ky- for Kyrie to stay and get Anthony Davis, but if you said that we're just going to go with the youth movement, not horrible. Uh, I want to no. talk... I want to talk about the Bucks for a second. Um, sure. You know, besides for Giannis, what was the one thing that stood out about the Bucks? Because, you know, I'm exceedingly high on the Bucks. I, I said before the playoffs started that they were going to win the whole thing. I mean, what was the one thing that you saw from Milwaukee, besides for just Giannis going supernova from games two through five, that, that really caught your attention? I mean, it's their defense. Their defense poses a lot of problems for whoever they play because of their, and they have the small guards who can run with the ones and twos. They have the length from, I mean, we could lift the guys. I mean, even Miritich doesn't have to play that much defense. He just has his length. Like he doesn't, he just has to close out. They don't, they're not asking him to do anything other than close out. Um, Ilya Sova is probably one of the more underrated defense, team defenders in the league. I think he led the league in charges or something like that. Um, Brooke Lopez has always been 
a bad defender, one a bad one-on-one defender, but he protects the rim. And then whoever Bledsoe is matching up against, he's going to be more athletic then. So as long as he knows he has some kind of help, he's a bit of a pest. And then a healthy Brogdon, I mean, he can, the list goes on. Connaughton has the athleticism to guard a, guard a one through three. Like, you really, with the way you got to play against them is mismatch your size against one of their smaller guards and hope there's rotations that you just either keep passing or you score right away. It's not easy. That kind of length um, is a real issue. I mean, it's something that the Spurs did when they have back with the Kawhi days. Like, I don't think people understand how long the combination of just him and Duncan on the floor at the same time was. So they stare at Russell on the court. I mean, those two guys, they could, they could, you know, hold hands and be at the past almost at mid court. So, uh, sorry, at the three point line more so, but it's just, Milwaukee's still with these guys. If they play that kind of defense, they have to shoot just good enough to get past Toronto in this next series. Yeah, and with Giannis being able to like roam as a help defender, I mean he, I mean they, he's the Greek freak for a reason. I mean that guy covers so much ground. You know, if you're not going to force a, him to be a, a really engaged on the ball defender, I mean it, it's lights out. For me, the guy, the the thing that stood out to me was George Hill coming off the bench. And how much more spry and active he looked in this, you know, playoffs as opposed to what he looked like last year for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, it's night and day. He looked cooked. No one wants to play off LeBron. There's too much pressure. I was going to say it. I was going to say it. You know what? LeBron is a real pain in the ass to play with sometimes. And some guys can do it and some guys can't. And George Hill clearly couldn't. But, you know, he's been great for the Bucs. Just... I really like this Bucks team. Yeah, I think it will be a tough. I mean, I'm sure you want to segue into the Toronto series. But yeah, it's, I I'd be surprised if I actually like the matchup um, in general. Like, I think Toronto matches up with Milwaukee better than probably any other team in the conference does. Uh, but I don't see. I just don't trust Kyle Lowry, and I don't see them. I could see games where Toronto scores. Toronto's going to end up averaging 91 points a game in the series. Like, they yeah. need Kawhi to score near 40, I think, or near 30, mid 30s. So basically, do what he did this past series, which yeah. will be a tougher thing to do. Uh, so let's get into that, that series that. for a second. Toronto Philly, and we'll talk about you know the matchups a, a little bit later. But Toronto Philly, what was your takeaway from that series besides for the fact that Ka- that uh, Kawhi Leonard reminded all of us? You know, just how awesome he is when he's right. Honestly, you know what the series taught me? It taught me Nick Nurse was not a very good head coach. I think everyone knows that Brett Brown has his has his foibles. Uh, they made a nice adjustment in game six where they used a little more point forward Tobias Harris stuff. Did they stop <laughs> using it? I don't, again, did they just left him in the corner to shoot? I don't think they understood how good Tobias Harris is, and they kind of wasted him. Separate issue. But Nick Nurse never really... Fourth quarter offense just leaned on Kawhi, and there wasn't many adjustments. Uh, so, how much of that? Sorry, how much of that do you think is the other guys just being too scared to shoot? Because it looked like, even regardless of what Nick Nurse was calling, Kyle Lowry was going to play hot potato, Marcus Gasol was going to play hot potato, Pascal Siakam was going to play hot potato. Well, you don't. They don't be scared to shoot. They can be in a position to take an easy shot. Now, if you have right. two, if two guys are focusing on Kawhi, which is normally the case after any. And there was a lot of mismatches on screen and rolls that they didn't they didn't like emphasize. They were happy to have Kawhi go at a big guy, which is fine. 
I mean, but if you look at Kawhi's fourth quarters before Game Seven, they weren't very good. Uh, in Game Five, he missed a free throw. He had like four turnovers, but he hit a huge three late, and that saved his entire fourth quarter. But there was no reason for Philly to even be in that game. I think, I think Toronto let Philly into some games late, and I think it's because they didn't really have a plan offensively, which is a bit of an issue. Uh, I, I <laughs> would say it's a bit have, of an issue. You have, like, yeah, unless you have Michael Jordan on your team. You know, if your plan is just to I mean, Clyde would start bringing the ball up with six minutes left, and everyone just spaced, and there was no movement. Like, you got to do something. You're not, you're not going to win that way. Not, they got lucky. They got lucky that they got past Philadelphia based on Based on both coaches, Dick Nurse let Philly in it, and Brett Brown kind of kept Philly out of it. So let's talk about um, the Sixers for a second and Brett Brown. Um, Brett Brown didn't necessarily have a great, um, you know, tactical series. Um, you know, those those shot clock violations were, were pretty egregious. But that's also because they were running their stuff, and Toronto just played really, really good defense. Right. I mean, if you're Philadelphia in, in an offseason – where you got, you know, a lot of question marks. Where do you, what do you do? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> um, Let's start with Brett Brown. Off, Would you bring him back? If, I mean, it's a tough situation because if the other goal is to really keep Joel Embiid and have him be their franchise for the next 10 years, I think you have to bring him back based on his recent comments. So you don't want to, you don't want to anger your star player. And he is a star. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I, that all-star, I had the pleasure of being near him and Giannis. And these guys are huge. Like, they make LeBron look small. And they're so talented that as long as Embiid stays healthy and he's used properly, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be magnificent. I mean, I can't even think of another word to describe it. Um, I mean, just, I just to give – hold on one second. Just to give everybody perspective, uh, Joel Embiid was – Plus ninety, plus ninety when he was on the court. In the series, the whole series. In the series, the entire series. I mean, in minute shocking. in that's minutes true. where he was off the court, they were minus like one oh nine. I mean, it was just well, absurd. That was also a bit of a personnel issue. They would come back with either Greg Monroe or Boban, or they went like Ben Simmons and Mike Scott or whoever they would throw sure. out there. The problem is that you don't have a – they probably should have went more on the side of defense with their backup big. Like they have Amir Johnson, but you're not playing Amir Johnson in the playoffs. They just didn't have a backup big guy who could play any defense. So it wasn't going to work out with whoever the guys they brought in. Um, but, you know, he's also on offense. He's a, lo- he's a, he's a load. He, shouldn't, he really should have just have a foul line in game. He really shouldn't take any threes. He should just be getting the foul line and – shooting over people, which he does at times, it's tiring. As a, as a Jewish big man myself, I totally understand it. Well, well, <laughs> you, know, you, I, you I, would... I like to the three-point line. You would stretch it out from three later on in your career. Yeah. But I could shoot. There's a difference. <laughs> he's, he, you know what? He's passable. The, I mean, I think we're, we're heading towards the biggest issue um, with um, uh, Philadelphia going forward, which is the fit with Embiid and Simmons. Because, you know, Jimmy Butler's a free agent. I think he actually proved that they should bring him back, and he actually fits well there because he can get his own shot at the end. I mean, you know, you saw at the end of Game 2 where 
Coach Brett Brown called him, you know, James Butler because he was the only adult in the room. I mean, like, he's a guy who knows how to play playoff games and has been big in playoff games. But the overriding issue how, for them. How many, how many conference finals has he gotten to? I think I actually think zero. One. I think they might have gotten to one with the Bulls, if any. Yes, and that's true, but. <laughs> but and that's a good point. But at the same time, like you've seen the way he's pre- performed in the playoffs. He's he's just very inconsistent, and he doesn't shoot well, well enough. enough throughout the course of a game where you're like, oh, this guy. We have to watch this guy out here. He can make he can make your defensive game play a little easier um, if you have bigger guards, which everyone has these days, and that's just the league now. And do you really want to pay him thirty million dollars a year at his age? I don't know. He is a good fit with Embiid. I do like their fit together, but uh, but I don't know. I think they're they even are trying to keep Tobias with him and with Embiid and Simmons and feeling they should just be throwing shooters at at that roster. Something they, I don't know why they don't do that. I don't, I don't understand what they're thinking. Well, so you if you had to choose, you would choose Tobias over over Butler. And that may be the reality, depending on what Jimmy wants to do in free agency. But if if you you know had your pick, yeah, I would pick Tobias because I also think Simmons is actually not a bad defender. Uh, when I say that, I mean he's a good defender. Um, he really is extremely talented and just has to. I would say when to get a table and jump shot. I'm not sure. I mean, how long has he been in the league? He's played. No, he's still in his third year in the league. Simmons, maybe his fourth year. Yeah. This is his. Uh, I mean, he sat out his uh, his rookie uh, his first year. year. So last year was his year. rookie year. So this is his right. second year. But it's his third year in the league. Yes, he's third year back. in the league. I mean, he'll, he's twenty two, twenty one. Give the guy some time to learn how to shoot a little more. He's got plenty of time to figure that out. Like you, you don't give up on him. And age. The, the fact that people are talking about them maybe training him. I think is absurd. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think they should do that. I don't think you should that. trade Simmons, even a, even if the fit right now is awkward. Um, right. Personally, I would, I would keep, um, Butler, Ugh. Embiid, <laughs> and Simmons. And if if you had to let Tobias go, just because you can replicate more of what he does for maybe 25 cents on the dollar and maybe pick up a couple of parts. That's what I would do if I had to lose Jimmy or Tobias. But ideally, you know, I think they were really good with all four of those guys playing together. It wasn't a long time, so if you can stomach the cap hit, it would be really nice to see them all back. I just think they had no idea how to use Tobias Harris. They, They wasted that trade. That was a waste of a trade. They should really be ashamed of how they ended up using right. probably one of the better two-way guys in the league. Especially and a guy, get, and a guy right. who's very good with the ball in his hands. You just never, they, they never did something with him running, running stuff from the top of the key. He just sat in the corner. Well, well, one guy, when those four guys are, you know, are on the court together, is going to lose out. You know, especially when they're you know going to run JJ off of screens and off of curls. Like but one guy's going to lose out, and it ended up being Tobias. And sometimes it's Simmons who just stands in the dunker spot. Simmons yeah. also spent much of the time losing out. It was a lot of Butler, a lot of Embiid, and then a little bit of James Ennis, and then a little bit of other guys who came in. They they just they they didn't they didn't realize that 
wow, we should really just put shooters around all these guys. Yeah. Because this is how our team, our team strength is Embiid, run the ball through him as much as we can and make the defense adjust. That's just not what they did. They didn't do that enough. Yeah, they have a very interesting, interesting offseason. Back to Toronto for a second against Milwaukee. You know, to me, um, the guys, you know, who need to show up are Siakam and Marcus All, because I don't think there is any chance of Toronto winning if they get what they got from those two guys in the last series. Like zero. Right. No, I, 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 Gasol had his, had his moments, but he's, he's older. Gasol's main role, since Lamarcus, if Gasol's going to be on Lopez or whoever their take is, and he's going to have to come out. And Kawhi, they'll put Kawhi on Giannis as much as they can, but realistically, you want Kawhi on Giannis the whole fourth quarter, but you still need someone behind him. And who is that going to, who is that really going to be? It's, if it, it's, you have Gasol patrolling outside around the three-point line, you have to figure something out. So I wonder if they'll do a lot of trapping uh, off the ball early to see uh, what they can get. As, as far as offensively, they could be physical with the Bucks. That's, that's, that's something I don't think they they normally do, but they could take advantage of that. Milwaukee has guys who can play, but you could, you could back down Meritage. You can, you can go at Lopez one-on-one. I wonder if they'll do that more often than they're kind of like space around Kawhi and maybe run a little screen and pop with Ibaka and Gasol. I would want to see them drive to the hoop more because those guys are those guys are just as strong and not stronger than a lot of those fours and fives on that Milwaukee team, but who knows what they'll do. I, it's a lot to ask uh, of Kawhi, and I know the numbers and limited um, possessions. You know, Kawhi did a really good job on Giannis, but yeah. – to have him score 35 and for him to guard Giannis, that is just a tall order. Uh, Siakam's yeah, got to do it. He's cemented his uh, – Kawhi, Kawhi, I know he doesn't have the mentality, but even if they go down in five games, no one's going to no one's gonna blame Kawhi for it. It's the other guys that will get looked at. Lowry's a free agent after next season. So if, if Toronto loses Kawhi um, – The contracts are do. set up beautifully for them to – Completely. Yeah, the contracts are set up beautifully and staggered. That if they needed to shift and you know tear the whole thing down, they could do it. All right, let's move out. Oh yeah, sorry. Well, well, after the after the Knicks sign Butler and then miss out on everyone else, when I trade for Kyle Lowry. Wow, you're uh, wow, you're going there. Wow, wow, you're doing that. Lowry, Reddish, and Butler. Mitchell Robinson, you know, you guys are really hate your guts that you went there. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move out west. I want to talk about Denver Portland uh, next. Um, what an absolute delight that series was. What was your biggest <laughs> takeaway from that series? Uh, that Denver needs a second player. Um, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway because, as someone who really loves watching Jokic play, mainly because his body type is like an amoeba. I don't think he can grow hair. He's not a very attractive man. He's a heck of a basketball player. Unbelievable. So, Unbelievable. Really unfortunate that, you know, he's taking these 30 foot threes at the end of the overtimes or at the end of game seven. He took one when they're down four. They need, let's say the timing isn't great because Murray's young, Harris is okay. And they have a lot of solid guys, but they need a guy like, like crazy as it might sound, Kyrie, I think, would be a great fit in Denver. 
I was I said that today to a couple of friends. Um, if Denver was serious about going for it this year, I think at the trade deadline, had they flipped Jamal Murray for and maybe something else for Kemba Walker, I think they right. could have easily ended up in the finals. But right. I also think it's prudent on them not to do that because they're ahead of schedule. And Jokic, they just signed to an extension, so they're in no rush. So you got to see what you have in Murray. No, I mean, I don't trade Murray as a get. It's more so I see what I can acquire without having to trade anyone, get the asset, and then move the younger guys if it's not working out. Yep. Uh, I would I would also, they don't really have, Miltas, okay, but he's obviously at the downturn of his career. Who's, who's his replacement once he starts to fade? They don't really have a four. Coming in, you're not going to play like Wancho Hernan Gomez. Maybe, maybe Tobias Harris. Well, or Kevin, whatever this Kevin Porter could do. Yeah, Michael Porter. Sorry, Michael, Michael Porter. Porter. Michael Porter. Who's Kevin Porter? Never mind. Michael Porter Jr. I mean, I think it's his brother. Moving forward. No, that's Jock Hay. Oh, that's right. That's, Kevin, right. that's right. That's right. Kevin just sounds better. I, I'm going to call him Kevin in the future regardless. So Michael Porter Jr. Um, I mean, who knows what they get out of him, but that's the, that's the shot they took. They're saying, hey, we got a guy, a three, who can spread the floor and give Jokic more room. Um, but, you know, if we can't get on the court, it's a separate issue. So you're pairing, the idea is to pair Murray, Porter, Harris, Martin, all these pieces with Jokic. Beasley. Um, yeah, I mean, at some point, these guys, some of these guys are going to walk, so you don't know how long they're going to have them for, but. They're going to have a yeah. They're going to have a similar issue to the uh, the Celtics, where at a certain point you're going to have to cash these chips in, and you're just going to have to do it. They are definitely they're definitely um, possibly better prepared in the sense that the role players are all there already. Uh, Boston had to kind of get their role players. Rozier's not a real one; he's not there. Uh, So they got Morris and they got Baines. Like you never know with those guys. They have those guys in place. The question is. Who's going to be the second star? They need a second star, and without that, they'll be stuck as like a, maybe a Western Conference Finals team, unless unless you know KD leaves. Then you never know. If it's wide open, you never know what could happen. Yeah, I mean, I I was so impressed by Jokic. I mean, I had my doubts about him like leading a franchise to being a real contender, but he is so much better than than I gave him credit for. I mean, I think his defense is actually better than he gets credit for. And he's just so gifted offensively in terms of, you know, being able to score the ball, you know, his passing. I mean, unbelievable. Just just a great series from him. And his numbers went up from the regular season, which you always like to see, um, as opposed I mean, to somebody is, else that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, well, this is just going to sound very biased, but you run the offense through a big man and everything gets a lot easier. People tend to forget that. If you don't yeah. have a Kevin Durant, if you don't have a Steph Curry, run the offense through a big man. And, and it's much easier for the guys. It elevates the play of the left tower if you guys And especially a big man who can pass. And I mean, as for Portland, Damian Lillard didn't have his greatest, you know, series, but he made big plays when it mattered, especially in that, um, you know, in that last game with that steal and that corner three. I mean, CJ McCollum was awesome and, and good for Portland for uh, getting some shine, especially after last year's embarrassing sweep. Yeah, and we'll, we'll conclude with Houston Golden State. Um, before we get into go, before we get into Houston, because um, I obviously have a major bone to pick with with Houston. I mean, Golden Golden State. You know, Kevin Durant gets hurt um, after in Game Five. They split the first four games. I mean, they each won two on their home court. Like, what what did you think when Kevin Durant went hurt? 
got hurt. Um, as someone who's followed Golden State extremely closely for the last three years, mainly mainly out of I got to have a choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I I would never worried about them. Um, I thought they would win in seven. Obviously, I didn't think that. I wasn't convinced they would win in Houston, but the team plays very well when they're constantly moving, even with with or without Durant. Like there's like a there's like it's like a controlled chaos on offense that they have, mm-hmm. and that would go away a bit with Durant because you you know you lean on him, you post him up, you it makes sense. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You 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 change things a little bit for a guy like that, but. And Durant was, cr- for, yeah, and he was crazy good in the playoffs up until that injury, yeah, like insane. But the team, right? But luckily, they're not. They didn't have to fit many of the key guys into like be like they still had Guadala, uh, they still had you know you get a little bit of old Draymond back. It's like hey, this is what we used to do. We'll just do it again. Mm-hmm. And they're not plugging in like as long as they sign like a wing like a like they acquired someone who had to had to try to fit in. They they know how to play. They know how to play together. That's why Guadala was so good in that, in that in the latter part of the series. And Clay was much better as the series went on. Curry had that had that second half that really, uh, I mean, that's going to go down in the record books as one of the more impressive halves in, in basketball history in the post in the postseason. And, and combine that with Houston's inability to run anything outside of Chris Paul or James Harden dicking around with the ball. Uh, it's not it's not a great it's not a great recipe when you when you're playing the best team. In the world, they're not just the best team in the world because of their talent. They're the best team in the world because they know exactly what they want to do all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. We're, like, I well, can't, it's really amazing. Like, I wish I rooted for a team that played that well together. It was, it was great to see, you know, the pre Durant Warriors come back, Curry doing Curry things, and, you know, people were giving him flack that he was having a, kind of a, a subpar postseason, which he was. But then all of a sudden you see that guy who is a two-time MVP and, and one of the four best players in the league, and, and you just marvel at what he can do. And, you know, there's a joy to them. There's a pep in their step when Durant's not there. Not to say that, you know, Durant bogs them down, but there's just like this this extra pep. Like Draymond looks extra Draymond-ish. You know, Iguodala was, has been awesome this postseason, and but he, you know, still looks spry. I mean, hitting five threes, five steals. You know, just awesome. Curry with the 25.4th quarter. Very easy comparison, you'll understand. Like, like if we're playing pick-up basketball and we have Aaron Tobinus on our team, we know the ball's got to go through him for a little bit. So we're going to be a little antsy, we're going to get impatient. But once Tobinus goes out, that ball's moving, we know we're going to get more touches, and the energy just comes right out of the roof. That that is that's not a terrible comparison, um, and an extremely extremely watered down version. Even though my highlights from Wednesday night pickup are on Instagram, making a couple threes, whatever. We'll 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 leave that there. Um, I want to talk about Houston for a second. What were your opinions on this on this Houston thing? Um, you know the whole thing. James Harden, Chris Paul, their style of play. You know their general manager. What was your opinion on Houston? So, uh, uh, well, Maury is a bit of a complainer, but he is a very smart basketball guy. There's no denying. I'll be able to ever, would ever deny that, even silly to say it out loud. Um, I think they had higher expectations for the Chris Paul acquisition, um, which I don't understand fully just because his style of play was always called into question right away. And it, it, the thing is, over a course of an 82-game season, 
it's going to work better. Uh, but when you're doing the same thing over and over and you're depending on a guy older with a lot of miles on him to have a lot of isolation and, and not get around whoever's guarding him, it's, it's just not going to work out as you planned. Maybe three years ago was a better idea, but into this, at this point in the process, um, that's why letting guys, they, they had a next man up issue where they you lose a guy like Ariza. So PJ Tucker becomes a little more important, but he fills in, but then who's filling in for PJ Tucker? Yeah. You know, like, is, like, do you really want any kind of minutes from Joe Green? No, I love Joe Green. He's one of my favorite players ever. You don't want him playing 10 minutes in any conference finals game. Uh, Austin Rivers had a good postseason, but he didn't play well in the last couple of games. Do you know why? He's Austin Rivers. Like, you're going to get what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Everything balances out. So they really had that issue. Um, and the variance of these one-on-one shots, step-backs, whatever it is, it, it, it kind of caught up to them because Golden State, honestly, on offense did a lot. That was impressive. And they, Houston actually played pretty good defense most of the series. Uh, that's why I think they actually get a little... They're not as uh, well-rated. They're a better defensive team than people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And I think moving forward, I mean, as long as you have Harden and as long as you have guys who can shoot, the question is what what we do with the big man situation. Because they still haven't found a big man who could shoot. Uh, they don't have a big man who could spread the floor. I think the last guy they had to do that was like Monte Yunus, and God knows where he Ryan is. Ryan Anderson. Uh, uh, he's not big, though. He doesn't play defense like a big. That's true. Uh and, uh, and what do you do with Chris Paul? Like, you probably got one more good year with Chris Paul left, but if that, how good of a year is it? If how that. good of a year are you really going to get? They're going to make a change this offseason. I think they're a team that's going to be surprising and do something we're not expecting. Well, I'll, I've bagged on Daryl Morey a lot for his complaining BS. Um, that memo he sent the league about the officiating, I think, was just so ridiculous. And how he said that, that according was, to our simulation. Oh, uh, according to the simulations that they cost him a title, like get lost, Daryl, like shove that up your ass. Um, I will give him, to be fair, we've never been in a spot like that in our lives. So we don't know how much pressure there is. Oh, stop. The referees didn't cause you to go 0 for 27 from three in game seven on your home court the year before James Harden to flame out against the San Antonio Spurs the year before that. And for Chris Paul to have a bulky hamstring. Um, the referees, the referees did not cause that. Um, so, but I will give Daryl credit, like when they needed guys in the regular season, when they started out super cold, like finding Kenneth Fareed off the scrap heap, that was huge. You know, finding dudes like that, like Daniel house, who I don't know why he didn't play him more in this, in this series, but guys like that off the scrap heap, he was great at, and they took a swing. Uh, at Chris Paul to, as he says, increase the variance, you know, and it missed because Chris Paul at that contract right now with his age, injury history, mileage is one of the worst contracts in the league. But it goes back to, you know, James Harden and James Harden is not nearly as good uh, in the playoffs as he is in the regular season. And, you know, that's not saying that a lot of guys take a step down because obviously the defense ramps up, but like, his is drastic, and it's not even just the numbers. It's just if you watch him, he looks less engaged. Like, it's just, you know, he's just not that dude. You know, like like Jay-Z once said, he's all right, but he's not real. Like, that's the Houston Rockets to me. Anybody who honestly thought that they were going to beat the Golden State Warriors with Durant, without Durant, it doesn't matter what court they play on. It doesn't matter when it is. They are not going to beat that team, and it's a mental thing. And I'm just so happy. What? Keep going, keep going. And I'm just so happy that, 
this that this Houston team lost because all the analytics nerds finally took an L in terms of that, like, oh, threes are worth more than twos, so you have to take garbage threes for the chance that they go in. Like, if you take a garbage three and it misses, three times zero is zero, all right? Like, I'd rather take good shots that have a better chance of going in than take the garbage ones that have less of a chance to go in. Um, or I, I, I'm happy that they lost because a lot of their offense is predicated on, you know, duping the referees and, and banking on the referees to bail them out for calls. Like maybe if you concentrated on scoring points, like James Harden at the end of game six had a layup, you know, that he got to the basket pretty uncontested, right? And he just missed it, completely missed it because he thought that there was going to be contact. Well, how about you concentrate on hitting the shot as opposed to bricking the layup expecting a foul call? Like I, I'm just so had it with this Houston team. Ugh. Yeah, I think we'll see something different. I mean, I have a lot of faith in uh, the owner, Tillman Fertitta. He's a gambling man. He owns some casinos. I think they'll do something a little unexpected this offseason. And I think, I mean, a lot of the NBA is focused on analytics now. Uh, it's not just a matter of Houston being full of analytics nerds, quote-unquote. Uh, so that, there's something to the analytics. It's more so how you balance it with, it's just like also a little bit of in uh, other sports, like analytics and baseball are big. But I agree. But guys, the guys still get maybe more money or more value who don't necessarily have the best analytics. It's kind of like there's an eye test. There's a there is an intangible quality to all of this that we all. If you've ever played sports, you know it. Like correct. Uh, I agree. Guys, guys shoot better in bigger spots. Uh, guys shoot better depending on who they play with. And baseball, you know. Some guys just know how to get other guys out. Some guys know how to pitch when they're not. They don't have everything. Um, in football, uh, I think football is a total crapshoot. But that's my that's first yeah. ever podcast. Um, no, I, I'm so with you. I'm with you on the analytics thing. I'm with you. I know I bag on them for effect, but you know it's they they do help. But like I think teams have like completely jumped the shark in terms of how they try and use them, and and it's not counting cards in a casino like. You know, there's a human element to this. Phil, I, yeah, I, I've, ke- I've kept you on for almost 50 minutes now. So before we let you go, I just wanted to get your predictions for the conference finals. So we've got sure. Portland and Golden State. How do you see that one going? Oh, my heart my heart wants me to pick Portland because I feel like they deserve it. But uh, it's gotta, I, I'll give it to Golden State in six. I'm with you there. And, uh, and in Toronto... Toronto and Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is going to steamroll. I think Milwaukee is five. Uh, Agreed. If it got to six, I wouldn't be shocked. If it goes seven, uh, I mean, Milwaukee didn't shoot the ball, but shoot the ball well. But I just don't think. I think Milwaukee might be the best team in the NBA. I I agree. I am picking. I'm picking the Milwaukee Bucks to win the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see. Uh, let's see, Brooke Lopez just. So uh, everyone I know that's a Brooklyn Nets fan, I know they're dying to see Brooklyn Lopez hold up that Larry O'Brien trophy. <laughs> it's going to really make them feel good. It would be sweet justice for them. All right, <laughs> Phil, thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. It's always great to catch up. Sorry that you got rained out in softball tonight, and um, let's do this soon. I know we, we're we're due for a baseball show uh, in a couple yeah. of weeks, so um, it's going to happen. The Red Sox are right back up there against those Yankees. We are due for a baseball oh show. Oh, my God. They've won, what, 11 of their last 13? Unbelievable. They're coming. Don't, they are don't coming. Wait, don't sleep on them. They still don't have a bullpen, but they're right there. 
Unbelievable. All right, Phil, thanks so much for doing this, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks again, man. Oh, wait, hold on. Before, before yeah. we go, I ask a question. Sure. What are your, what is, what, is this going to post before Tuesday night, the lottery? No, probably not. That's why we're not talking about it right now. I'm not emotionally ready to, to have that conversation. On uh, There's a lot riding on tomorrow night. Okay, okay. I'll let you, I'll let you go. Then. I'll, I, won't have, I won't torture you. <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate it. God, uh, I want to torture you, but I won't torture you. <laughs> we'll take it off the air. Thanks so much, man. I'll speak to you soon. <laughs> All right, thanks again to my man Phil Bausk, recurring guest, major friend of the program for giving me so much of his time. It was really a great conversation. That takes us out, episode 47. Take us out, Trick Daddy and Lil John. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.